0: Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweid & Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweid & Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Hi, Rev. Brad Garoon. I said I didn't want to start another show laughing, but I'm doing it anyway. How are you? If people knew what we were laughing about, they'd never listen to the show again. What, what's going on? Any good burgers in your life?
1: Oh, yeah. Hmm. Let's think. I've been to a lot of places lately since last we spoke. I, um,
0: I, follow, you on the, I follow you on the socials and read your blog, so I know. I'm just guessing where you're going to go with this.
1: Uh, wait, there was one that I wanted to talk about, and I'm drawing a blank because... Oh, 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 oh. No, I must talk about this. I'll, I'll be brief because it's gross. Uh, the burger's not gross. The burger was very tasty, but I went to Island Burger because they claim to have the very spiciest burger in New York City. Uh, it's got jalapenos and a habanero sauce on it. And, oh, man, uh, when I, I'm going to write a review about it on Burger Weekly. It'll be up in a couple of weeks, but I think it might have to be two separate sections of the review, one for how it felt going in and one for how it felt coming out. Oh. Man, I, I became a handicapped person for a day. <laughs> Did it taste good? Just preview that, good or bad. Very delicious. I loved I, even the spice. Like it was very spicy, but not so much that it, it destroyed me going in. I had to take a couple of breaks, but it was it was it's for any spice fan. If you're if you're a spice maniac, it might not even register. I'm like a spice medium kind of guy, and uh, and it registered for sure. But I liked it very much. I've had that happen with some hot wings that I ate with Matt Curry.
0: Mm. That's a whole other story. Tell me a story about a burger. Yo, I have a new favorite burger in New York City. I'm officially declaring it. Okay. Uh, I went to uh, the newest location of Beer Culture on the Upper West Side. It just opened like a week and a half ago. They're calling it Gebhard's, which is Matt, the owner, his last name, Beer Culture. And they have a full kitchen at the second location, whereas the first one, they just have like a tiny little kitchen. So they only do like mini burgers and sliders. But they have this burger there. And I know I'm going to be outpouring with love for some Schweidensons meat here. You can just skip that part of it if you think I'm overly endorsing my employer and our sponsor. But holy Moses, this burger is so good. It's the Schweidensons Butcher's Blend. They cook it like just kind of barely medium rare. Uh, They have uh, house-made pimento cheese, house-made pickle jalapenos. They throw some rabbit food on top, which you can do with or without. And they have this roll that's like a seeded roll that I know that I looked at it was like, mm, I don't think that's a good roll for a burger. I took two bites, ate all my words, ate all the burger. It was so good. There are so many intense flavors. There's so much happening with this burger. I can't stop talking about it. I can't stop texting pictures of it to people. The the pimento cheese uh, jalapeno pickle burger at Gebhard's Upper West Side, it's it's awesome.
1: It's awesome. Yeah, I had it. And? <laughs> um, I'm going to endorse it as a good burger and because you hyped it too much and i don't want people to be disappointed it's a good burger and it's a great pimento burger i actually talked to matt and he said you really while you can if you want to be a pain you can you know get the salad uh the salad not on it but he really doesn't want people eating it that way you know he he said he constructed it the way he constructed it because that's how he wants it to be eaten and i respect the hell out of that so i like a good amount but i i could have been in i could have been in the mood Honestly, if you if you hadn't hyped it up as much as you did, and that's why I'm tempering your hype, I wouldn't say I like I'd like it more because I would have I would have liked it the same, but um I think I was just expecting a lot because you you liked it so much.
0: I'm sorry I overdid with my excitement. Anyway, speaking about overdoing with excitement, let's <laughs> uh, let's, let's, let's get into our interview today. We were a really great conversation for you with with Chef Russell Jackson. He has done some burger events with me. The man loves food. He loves cooking. He has a lot of really interesting things to say. Let's uh, let's get on today's show with uh, Chef Russell Jackson. A graduate of the California Culinary Academy in San Francisco, Chef Russell Jackson's passion for food started out like many of us, at home watching his mother cook family meals. He went on to become the head chef at James Beard-nominated Black Cat, and eventually landed an opportunity to appear on both Iron Chef America and The Next Food Network Star. Currently, he's the founder and host of Subculture Dining, a uh, bi-coastal underground supper club, and host of Bravo TV's Going Off the Menu show. Russell, what's the most important thing a chef or influencer can do uh, if they want to be interesting to the media?
2: <laughs> well, you know, um, I think the best thing is, is it ultimately really is, it's a, right now, it's really about being yourself. Uh, I think that it's not about trying to be some overblown, uh, ridiculous, over-the-top uh, caricature of a person. It's really about the, the authenticity of who you are and what you can bring to uh, whatever the, the product or the, the, the show is that you're doing. I mean, you know, you look at something like Chopped, Chopped is really about it's not just about the food and the competition, but it's really about the storyline. It's about the, the interesting characters and how, who and what they're fighting for. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of that good versus evil uh, setup. So, you I mean, you, look at, you even look at uh, Food Network Star, you know, which is, it has really very little to do with food. And it, depend, it, it really, on the larger scale, is about who's going to be the best marketer for the products that need to be shilled on Food Network, uh, for product integrations. And then, you know, it, it's really about, uh, uh, you know, I guess how how well you can translate who you are uh, what or what your persona is supposed to be in a marketable way to the masses.
1: So before you were able to hone your persona, uh, let's go back a little
2: bit. What inspired you to become a chef? Oh, God. Uh, you know, I... As as the story goes, as I always say, it it was it really started out from the day I could start to walk. Um, it for me, cooking has been all about a natural ability. I I mean I was born to be a chef. but there there was really no doubt about it. Um, at three years old, I started mimicking my mom uh, in the kitchen from simply from watching what she was doing and uh, uh, started I mean like really physically cooking. And uh, it's it's just never. It's just never not been that way. It, it, it's um, I think that you go through life and you're always searching for who you are and what you are and what you're here to do. And I think that I've been very, very fortunate in my life, even though I have absolutely resisted it at times through my life. Uh, to come to that greater realization that this is who I am, this is what I do, and to fully embrace it and to, to ultimately attempt to take the most advantage of the opportunities that have been put in front of me because of my inane stupidity in the kitchen. Define inane stupidity in the kitchen. I'm curious to know more about this. <laughs> well, you know, I think that you go through, I think that as a chef, as a cook, you know, you go through those sort of evolution and uh, evolutions in life of, uh, you, you you know you you, you it, I think today it's all about you know what do I learn on the internet and what can I learn out of cookbooks uh, uh, or, or pretty picture books or you know blogs and it, it's um, uh, for us back in the day it really was about uh, educating you know going out and getting educated and then earning your earning your way up through the kitchen and then getting that opportunity to sort of showcase your work first by feeding. Everybody in the staff, and then ultimately making it to a sous chef position, which in turn you you were taught to regurgitate what the guy ahead of you or above you was was teaching you, and then you ultimately become the chef, which you're then again just sort of uh, uh, processing what uh, uh, a CDC or an owner wants you to do. But then you get to that you get that chance where now I get to start to showcase what I do, and you go through those pro- those. Evolutionary things where you're a wild man and you just, you know, all these weird concoctions of the stupidest crap you could possibly throw onto a menu, you start, you know, because you want to show off and that's why you end up with uh, menu items that have like green grapes and, and uh, uh, spring onions in everything or, <laughs> or you know, chocolate, uh, 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 chocolate and hamburgers and, you know, like just weird, you know, just obnoxious things that... Uh, There's so many blogs out there of restaurant fails, you know. And now it's the, it really comes down to the plating thing. Like every chef wants to have this unique plating thing, and I've seen people sh- serve food on everything from a shovel head to uh, <laughs> to a skateboard, you, you know, with stuff just dripping and falling off of it, and you know. It, I think that through the years, I've gone to that place where I've gone. I've gone through those periods of time of of bad behavior, uh, uh, bad chef behavior, to come out through the other side and start to like. Okay, go back to the classics and figure things out and build. You know, really lean on my skill set as a chef to really showcase the simplicity and the greatness about what is wonderful about food itself. You know, and that that. you know, um, what I do on television, um, uh, what I've done on television is about really sort of having fun and making fun of it all. A, a little tongue-in-cheek and irreverence. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, my new show is really um, me just basically stuffing my face <laughs> hour after hour after hour uh, and showing people like really, really cool places that they had no idea hide in plain sight. Uh, uh, but you know, when I cook personally, there's there's a part of me that's that there that is that sort of childish, uh, uh, stupid, uh, uh, sullen, angry sort of you know uh, wants to make a political statement and, and say something definitive about uh, pop culture and and politics and sort of the 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 uh, over, overblown nature of how serious some people take some of the dumbest things on earth, and, and to, to just sort of it's really me sort of using my bully pulpit to thumb my nose at other people um, uh, it, when I, well, I should say, when I do subculture dining. And then there's that other side of me that's very, very serious about uh, really embracing and sh- showcasing the, the, my talents and in, in, in utilizing. My inspiration, which I've like really just in the last five years, really come to realize is music. That music has always been a driving force throughout my entire life. But uh, I have to. I'm very fortunate that I'm very close friends uh, with Dominique Kren, and she's not only has she been just a really great friend, but she's been this enormous level of inspiration for me. And I don't know if you know who she is. She's well. I mean, as a a week ago, she was officially officially anointed the. Uh, world's best female chef, uh, which, you know, frankly, I knew for a million years, uh, but finally with the greater public, she's, she's gotten that accolade, and um, uh, uh, she's been this great muse for me uh, and, a, and a great sounding board for me to, to have had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with in the kitchen, and uh, uh, she uses art and, and um, uh, her father's poetry. Uh, as a driving, defining force for her work, and looking at her, and really sort of looking internally back at myself, and realizing, oh my God, it's always been music for me. And um, today, that, that that is really the the de- defining edge of my my culinary artistic work. Uh, uh, to 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 use that as that that inspirational basis for what I do. That's yeah. a long way to come from inane food. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I liked very
0: interesting. I like to put pop tarts on breakfast sandwiches that's a whole other story,
1: yeah, uh, somewhere in there, I was thinking, should we talk about the Twitter account with uh plates, please with all the, uh, uh, <laughs> all the things but I, actually, have, I think that was a while ago
0: <laughs> i actually I actually pulled it up Russell, are you familiar with tw- the twitter uh we
2: want plates yeah i i I've seen that <laughs> and and the, the, the i there was another one that was heading I think on Facebook about the 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 uh yeah, we won plates and chef fails you know chef fails and things like that I, I love those things because it, it it really just shows you the absolute just mindless stupidity of truly not thinking it through <laughs> you know you know it's like and I, and you know like we have no one to blame but ourselves you know it's or frankly you know <laughs> we can. <laughs> we can all we can blame El Bulli for for you know basically setting the president of a true of an entire generation of bad chef behavior and I know that they're trying desperately to sort of roll that back <laughs> by you know creating schools and 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 trying to even in their own like a. a uh, I've been very fortunate to to become friends with Jose Andreas and you know you look at the, like the stuff that he posts and the stuff that he talks about a lot in his, his social media feeds are all driven about really the simplistic straightforward very direct approach in the way he produ- produces food and it's not about gastrochemical you know tweezer food it's really or, or you know $1,000, you know, uh, porcelain that <laughs> that no one can ever afford uh, to, to, you know, to, to pump foam onto. Uh, but it's really about, you know, it's like I, I watched this great short that he had done about how to fry an egg, and it it's like, it's one of the most badass, like, little 60-second six, uh, uh, segments on how to fry an egg that's, it's just, it's mind-blowingly cool. Uh, you know, or there were. I think he was out with his kids one day, and they were making paella uh, out in the woods. And he was just showing this whole technique of how to make, you know, just like tomatoes, rice, <laughs> shallots, garlic, and and uh, I think there were crayfish that he was using to make this really, really simple paella. And it was so brilliant. And you know, you knew like you could just taste it through the screen how cool it was. And and nowadays people. You know, they do this stupid shit, and they, 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 they just they, – we've so jumped the shark, you know. <laughs> it's like, bring it back. Pull it back, guys.
0: I think everybody's just going
2: for yolk porn, but let's, <laughs> do, let's, let's, let's talk about something
0: else. Rosa, can you tell us about the concept uh, behind your new show going off the menu
2: on Bravo? Yeah, well, so a couple of years ago, uh, I was really fortunate that uh, I've, I've had this, this great relationship with this production company uh, based out of Colorado uh, Citizens Productions or Citizens Pictures. And uh, uh, Tim McCorsky, the, 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 the head guy out there, um, who's worked for years with uh, a lot of the Food Network stars and, and with Giada and, and, and primarily with Guy. Uh, they, 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 for years, have done uh, Triple D, and our diners dive and drives, uh, di- diners drive, yeah, the tongue twister, Triple D, you know, they called me up, and they said, hey, look, you know, Bravo actually has this great idea for this show, and you're perfect for it, and I said, okay, so give me the rundown, and, and they, they described basically the show that I've been trying to make for over 10 years, and I said, you know, that, kind of some bullshit because i know i've pitched this before and they said well you know you know you really fit the mold you know you you are quintessentially the expert in this area and it it only makes proper thought that you'd be a part of this show Uh, so you know we went through the process i went through the audition process and and uh uh uh, very quickly got accepted by by Bravo, and uh, we shot. We went out. Uh, Liza, Liza, and I flew out from New York here, and we shot the pilot over over a week, uh, and basically didn't hear anything for almost two years. <laughs> and then last summer we got a phone call and said the show's been greenlit. It's time to go to work. <laughs> and uh, in January uh, we went out to Los Angeles for a, a, a three-week run, and we basically went out and shot this, you know, just got to go out and, I mean, really just, we had such an incredibly fun time making this show. And, you know, it's a show about, again, as I said, sort of the hidden gems uh, of that the, those, those restaurants, those bodegas, the, 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 these great classic foods that exist within your city that hide in plain sight and, and you know, with... Yeah, I think that as an industry as a whole, and we were talking. I was actually talking with. Uh, uh, I had breakfast with uh, uh, Liam Makelum and interestingly enough, on the tail end of it, uh, Daniel uh, Daniel Ballou. Um, uh, We were having this conversation about the the, the restaurant industry as at a whole, and sort of the the greater problems that face us, and and how the current business models that exist aren't going to continue to work. That you know, like take San Francisco for. Prime example, there are more restaurants in San Francisco per capita than there are in New York, and the fact that, like, what, is this, what does New York have per day in the city? Five million, ten million people? And San Francisco is lucky if it gets up to a million and a half, two million people. Think about the fact that there are more restaurants there now per square footage than there are here. That's crazy. Uh, yeah come on it 's unsustainable it 's absolutely unsustainable and it 's never ever ever going to work you know i mean it's just going to be absolute carnage within six months because there are going to be more people that are just going to you know i mean if you need cheap equipment, go to San francisco because it's going to be it 's going to be a fire sale within the next year and um, uh you know the, the the we've created this problem for ourselves and and a lot of people, what they've done and even, you know, when you even look at the the, the basic idea of what a a lot of people are doing is is they're just trying to feed people. They're trying to put what they do because culturally, you know, uh, people like uh, in Africa, Mexico, you know, it's all, it's really a lot of these places are in people's homes. They're on the roadside. They're in stands. They're, you know, it's like there are all these really, really cool, incredible, high-level cuisine that's going on in absolutely plain sight. And we went to a taco place. It's, uh, I think, it's episode three, uh, where we went around with uh, Bill Aspar, a uh, street food, uh, street street gourmet LA, uh, is his uh, Instagram account and Twitter account. Amazing guy, and he's he is truly like the unofficial Latin food king. A, a tour guide in, in, Cal- in Southern California. I mean, the guy knows everywhere to eat. And uh, he took us around to a handful of different places and, I mean, you know, it, it's probably my favorite line in the entire season is when he said to us, he said, well, where are you going to take us for, 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 for these great tacos you've been talking about? And he said, oh, it's an attire shop. And I, like I had this long pause and then I just started laughing and I couldn't stop. And the reality was was that I actually went to the most badass Mazatlan style uh, uh, taqueria, like father and son, triple generation, you know, old school, hardcore taco stand in a tire shop in the middle of Compton, you know, <laughs> and it was unbelievable. It was absolutely one of the best experiences I could have ever possibly have had. Uh, and I, I mean, I have so many stories from. The the, the the couple of weeks of filming and just every single one was really unique and interesting and I mean it, it's an absolutely authentic show I mean for God's sakes in two weeks of two weeks of filming 14 15 days of filming I gained 26 pounds eating you know? oh yeah oh yeah I was getting down <laughs> you know it was like I, it was a license to strap on the feed bag and I went whole hog and you know, and like little tiny Liza, my my co-host, uh, you know, she's you know she's not more than like 105 pounds, and and uh, you know she got really wise after like day two or day three. She was like, I can't keep up with them. Like, like she would take a bite of something and then basically push it to the side or or slip it to the production company so that everybody else could eat, you know. But not me. I was like in a prison film, you know, just. <laughs> Pounding, pounding every ounce of what I could get my hands on, and I mean, like I, I just the the taco episode that that was actually the very, very, very last thing that we filmed uh, uh, at the at the end of two weeks, and I mean, I'm telling you, my my pants were about to pop. Uh, <laughs> I, I had just the meat sweats. All day, every day, it was—it was like the struggle was real. <laughs> so that—that that sounds like it must have been amazing
1: exposure for that—that that taco stand in a in a tire shop in Compton. How do other like how do restaurants get on on the radar for the show? How do you guys choose what spots are going to be
2: exposed? Well, I mean, the reality is is that Liza and I, this is actually what we do for a living. This is what we do as a profession. Is you know we're restaurant hunters. We you know it's like as an underground chef. You know, it's part of my job to know the landscape in every city, anyway. And you know, it, it, it's my job is I should say infinitely easier now because now that we're sort of a known quantity, people are coming out of the woodwork that would have that we wouldn't and didn't find beforehand. Uh, so my job's a little bit easier today because of that of the exposure. Uh, but there are still, you know, there were still like a handful of places that I really wanted to go to. That uh, uh, just won't answer the phone. They're like, we don't want any part of it. We don't want to know you. Like, we're not, we're not letting it out the secret. And um, uh, and those are always really, really interesting. And some of them are like real big, like well-known entities, but are just too douchey to want to even play with us. Which is all good, you know. It's like, hey, we're just a little national television show that's all over the world now. Whatever, uh, <laughs> you know. But. Um, and we make look people look good, but you know, it's like again, every single person that was in every single segment of it that we went through, they were all just the most genuine like I've made like really sincerely good friends through the experience. Uh, they're just really great artisans of what they do. And um, uh, you know, I mean the, the the one thing that of all the like The way we end up doing is, you know, like three or four months ahead of time, once we had the green light, then we sit down and have a production meeting and we talk about well, where do we want to go, well, give me the hot list, okay, what's the city, and then we just sort of ramble through our databases of, well, I'd really like to go to this place, so I'd really like to, you know, this is my top three picks of places I really want to go to, and uh, 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 we talk with research and, and development and, and let them go out and, you know, Fortunately for us, we we have partners in helping us to do a lot of that legwork and dirty work uh, in in finding the context and putting these people together. And and through that process, I think that, you know, again, all of us want to share the information. We want to share what other people are doing. And if we know, well, I'm going to get a little coverage. I want to help these guys out or I want to help those guys out. You know, you turn people on to as much as you can. Uh, so the word of ma- it's really, you know, again, subculture dining, my underground restaurant was, you know, I mean, we got to our height because of word of mouth. I mean, we, you know, never paid for advertising, never had marketing, never done, you know, pure hardcore guerrilla marketing tactic tacti- tactics. Uh, you know, we were early adopter in social media. We were using Twitter when Twitter was, you know, the D base, just, just using it as a text system. Um, you know, I mean... You know, we were way ahead of the curve on a lot of stuff uh, because we were always looking for ways of innovation and, and spreading the word in, in an unconventional way to get to what we perceived at that time was our client base. Uh, let's, let, let's, talk,
0: let's talk about subculture a little bit. I know, like, yeah. I'm sort of familiar, but, you know, most restaurant operators and chefs find running a business pretty hard that has, like, a physical address. Yeah. What, what challenges do you face with an underground
2: supper series, and, you know, what are the secrets to making it successful? Well, I'll I'll start off by saying this, you know, uh, don't do it.
1: <laughs> if at all
2: if you can avoid it, don't no, no, fucking do it. Noted. <laughs> run like, like run like a, you, you, your house is on fire away from it. I mean, it's um uh it is a it is an emotional, physical, mental, and financial siege on your soul. Um uh, uh you know, uh, Subculture dining, it, you know, it's been in existence for like what, uh, going on 13, 14 years now. And the only reason that it, it, it exists was purely from the fact, out of necessity. You know, necessity being the mother of invention. Uh, I had a need. I had spent, uh, uh, you know, a year and a half, and this is back in uh, 2003. Uh, I'd spent a year and a half uh, self-funding my San Francisco, re- you know, bricks and mortar project, uh, which eventually became Lafitte. Uh, uh, I I spent over a hundred thousand dollars in cash in my own money, and I had nothing to show for it after a year of just hard backbreaking backbreaking work, and um, uh, uh, I needed a way to not only entertain landlords and potential investors, but I just wanted to cook every week, and when you're cooking for a a small audience of potential investors you know you're basically throwing pearls before swine over and, over and over and over and over and over again, and you're not getting you know it's like maybe once every six dinners you get somebody that might give you a check and you know it's just the 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 return on you know the return on investment is just so bad you just it, it's heart, it's hard it's a heartache you know to do it so uh, this was that opportunity for me to just be able to connect with more people, spread the word about what we were attempting to do, and and subculture dining really was all about in its in its infancy was really all about the 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 path to building a bricks and mortar restaurant, and we always talked about it. It was always presented. It was always showcased. About this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. This is what we're heading for. And, and we achieved that goal. We raised over $3 million. Uh, we built a, a, a restaurant that was an award-winning restaurant on the, on the San Francisco waterfront in a historic landmark building. Um, and I'm still, you know, even though it's long and gone, it lasted two years, 15 days to be exact, um, it's still one of the greatest accomplishments that I've ever, I've ever achieved in my, my cooking career. Uh, I did something that no one could do in a very long time. I mean, there hadn't been a restaurant opening in over two years, and you know, maybe large part of it is due to my stubborn nature and my absolute stupidity and not giving a shit and having deal lust and I'm going to achieve this hell or high water, and I did. You know, <laughs> you know, what is it? The best advice? Thing? No, but that's you know, that was that point of inspiration. And what subculture dining did was it kept evolving. Like even though it was this little dirty secret that we ended up building to achieve this goal I thought I could just bundle it up and put it back in the closet and never really talk about it again and basically what we've done is we've started a movement and I hadn't even realized what we had done until maybe four or five years after I had essentially stopped primary operations to go on to do Lafitte was that we had had influence not only just in the marketplace but on an entire an entire category of restaurants, an entire genre of of, of the industry, on um, the way people were approaching building out. Um, you know, I mean, pop ups didn't exist before we before what we did. Uh, you know, Alina uh, uh, didn't have Next, and they didn't have their their pre ticket sold ticket system. We were the only he said, "Yeah, you're gonna to have to buy a ticket and pay us beforehand, and we're not even gonna tell you where you're gonna go." You know, um, you know, we did a lot of ground-baking stuff. We planted a lot of first flags, and and you know, we took it on the chin in, in a lot of respects. I, I don't, you know, being an innovator isn't necessarily all it's cracked up to be. Sometimes it, it really is about just doing a lot of a lot of really dirty work and and, and taking a lot of punches uh, uh, so that everybody else could go on and you know learn your kung fu to go on and do the job better and that's great that's really awesome I mean, we've, we've we've helped an awful lot of people and uh i'm so privileged you know even now to have like this next part of my career in being able to showcase what other people are doing uh, to an international level that's like how cool is that um, but soul culture dining it's, now it's just it's it's still an incubator. I mean, we're we're going through a program right now, subculture dining, where we're still hosting dinners. Uh, I do either sort of one of three things: either I'm doing some charity work base where we're doing something that's near and dear to me, whether it's uh, a bee conservancy or uh, my my uh, Bronx charity uh, Wedco, which we're supporting, or something that we can do to help charity-based organizations uh, with fundraising. There's also the side of it where it's a business incubator. We're actually incubating a new program that we're code naming Pork Store right now. Even though that's it's not their necessary identity, it's just the code name for this secret program that we're building, uh, which I'm very excited and hopefully going to be able to like really be able to talk about sometime in the next uh, six months. Uh, and then, you know, it's it's my bully pulpit. It's that opportunity for me to stand up and just cook whatever I want, however I want, and you know, I mean I I, I was uh I I am one of the former poster boys for the West Coast for the for the pro foie gras m- movement and I battled it out with PETA and wore a uh a, a bulletproof vest and carried around a, a nine millimeter nine millimeter for six months, uh protecting myself, my home and my crew. Uh uh because That's of, intense. yeah, that was a sucky period of time in life. And I don't really want to return to that crap. <laughs> you because... Know, I'm just a chef that wants to serve a little duck liver when I want to, but uh, sure. you know, come on, you know, like, let like, let let's, let's be real, people.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you mentioned uh, your incubator. What what is it? T- that's I think incubators are a really interesting place for people to gain a lot of knowledge and experience, and and you know, really benefit from people who are more uh, experienced in the field. What do you look for in an incubee?
2: What's uh, what does it take to get your attention? Well, I think you know as much as anything, it's really those it's those, that aspect of going out and really pushing the envelope to test a theory. You know, I think that, that the, the great thing about what we demonstrated with subculture dining from the very beginning was, was that we could take, and it, it's not the solution of the equation for every aspect of you developing a business, but it is taking some of the big picture items, the things that would, you know, it's like nowadays you have a tenth of a second, you know, with things like Yelp and, and you know, the, that evil empire and all of these other, you know, every douchebag that wants to have a blog and thinks that they're a food critic uh, that wants to put their two cents in about something, you know, it's like you it's no longer the aspect of, okay, I've got three months to sort of get the fires going and sort things out and get get out, up to full speed and, and work through the problems. It's like if you're not 100% from day one, you're screwed, you know, because, you know, it, all it takes is ten people talking shit about you online and uh, and posting a lot of crap, and like you have you spend months trying to live that down or repair that, and it, it's it's nuts, you know, because it's just moving at the speed of light now. So this is you know it's like you want to have that opportunity to make your mistakes and and test out your theories and your ideas and honestly to find your Define your groove. Define who are the people that are going to come to me. Why, you know, why are they going to come to me? Uh, uh, what's my marketing ploy? Uh, am I delivering the right message? Is it connecting with people in a in a in a truly visceral way? Um, uh, you know, it, you know the thing. You know, some of the logistics and service points and all of those things are are are, are going to end up having to be worked out on a day to day operational uh, basis. But the things that are really, really key about, you know, is is the cuisine that I'm attempting to make, are are people going to want to buy, buy it, and are they going to pay for it at the price point that I need to sell it at? Uh, you know, it, it, is my brine program or my booze program unique enough to make it interesting? Am I tying those threads together? Do I have a real, you know, it's like that opportunity to, to define your mission statement uh, uh, without having to go through, you know... <laughs> You, you just can't go out and build a restaurant space and throw it, throw some, throw a group of people together and hope that it works out. You know, it's like we built a thirty-man team over over five years. We we I cultivated a crew. I cultivated a not just a crew but a philosophy about how I wanted to operate my bricks and mortar. You know, it was like I built I built its engine. I built its heart, not the engine, but the heart of 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 the business and um, I, you know, I mean, if I look at it and say, okay, well, where did I fail in all of that? I think that I wasn't as protective of that core philosophy and the heart of my business, uh, and I brought in, I I allowed in too many in, interloafers that weren't part of the or, or didn't really believe and understand the true core philosophy of what we spent so much time in building, because it took it took a half a dozen individuals uh, uh, six months to tear it apart, and then I spent. You know, the next two and a half, or next year and a half, trying to trying to keep it pulled together to make it work. Uh, uh, you know, so I mean, that was definitively that my mistake there, <laughs> never to be lived again. Well, it's important to to live
0: and to learn, and let's let's talk about learning. I want to talk a little bit about um, you getting on TV. You've been on several times now. Yeah. Um, I, and I think there's probably a lot of people out there that want to skip all that, like, becoming the sous chef and learning and just get on TV, uh, which obviously they need to do. But, you know, how did you, how did you first get on TV the first time it happened?
2: Well, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the best example of that. Uh, I mean, the reality is is that, um, you know, my story is, is that I, I've been in the kitchens professionally since I was 15 years old. And I mean, I'm old school. I, I worked my way up. I worked my way up through multiple systems. I trained. I've, I, I did it the way it should be done, which was I learned by hand-to-hand combat, passed on from chef to chef to chef to chef to my to my hands, uh, uh, and I bled for every single bit of my knowledge. And and um, and that you know that can't. Like you just can't learn that. I mean, I did officially go to school, but I had been in the industry for ten years uh, uh, before I actually entered and went to school. And I, you know, uh, school was uh, somewhat of a vacation for me, and I killed it. And I mean, I was top four in my class. And the uh, only reason I was top four is because I spent too much time dicking around, uh, but <laughs> chasing girls. And I've always, you know, I was I grew up in Southern California, so I was always around television. And uh, as soon as I came back out of school, you know, I'd been offered opportunities to, to be in uh, different things, and pilots had been shot around me when, in my youth. And, and I got to that sort of place where uh, I had my own restaurant, uh, my first restaurant in, in Los Angeles, and uh, uh, I was getting asked to do stuff, and, and I said, you know, I, I will do it if it helps my restaurant and for the next 20 years 20 plus years it was always meant with that with that sort of mandate of if you want me to do this television show or you want me to be on this thing or show up and cook this on you know for whatever it's really got to be about showcasing my restaurant and and putting butts in seats because that's all that matters to me right now and eventually you know after I closed Lafitte, um, uh, literally, I mean, and I shit you not, the week that I closed Lafitte, uh, Food Network called and said, it's time to go to work. We want you for Iron Chef, and we'd like to put you under a couple-year contract and, and do, have you do a bunch of stuff with us. And and um, at first I didn't want to do it. I absolutely didn't. I mean, well, Iron Chef, I said absolutely yes. I, it was like the, I'd, been, I'd been turning down Top Chef. Uh, since season two, I I adamantly never ever 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 wanted to do Top Chef, and I will never compete on Top Chef. Uh, it's just not my it's not my shtick. Um, uh, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for it now, but in the early days, it was just a, it was an absolute meat grinder. Um, and you know, and then no one loves the aspect of sequestration. <laughs> it's like you've got to be an idiot if you if you revel in that crap. I Am Chef for America changed my life. That was like that was one of those moments where I went through the experience. I had two of my best sous chefs I've ever had in my career surround you know with me on my team, and it was just you know like at the end of it, I I, I looked at them and I said I could do this. Like I could actually really do this for a living. Like I I dig doing this, and and it I you know let's see where this takes us. And uh, a, c- a couple of months later, I got. The call for Food Network Star, and and that was the one that I really said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And my agency at the time really talked me into, look, you you know, we need that opportunity to have something to talk around you about, and uh, we really like to see you do it. And you know, the 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 uh, the company, the production company, had changed. They they brought in a new group, uh, uh, which is Triage, and they're they're lovely, uh, Steve Kupnik and and the group over Triage, they. You know, they do a handful of different shows, and the guy who is actually the the guy that was the line producer for the show uh, uh, is uh, the guy who actually runs uh, 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 Chef Kid vs. Chef, um, which is sort of like a little junior Iron Chef show. Uh, and you know, they they were just such great people, really professional. They 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 really you know they really sort of walked me through. What the experience would be like, and I'm fortunate that I have a lot of friends that have done these shows before, and I, I got a tremendous amount of feedback from, from a handful of different people that had won different different shows, and, uh, you know, they gave me as much advice as I could possibly inhale, and I, I said, okay, you know, I sat down with my family at the time, and I said, look, you know, if I do this, uh, and I make this sacrifice, I may be gone a couple of weeks, I could be gone for months, and know that this is going to change everything, and that if I do go down this path, the decision is is that I'm switching from I'm a, a a chef that occasionally does television to a TV chef that occasionally cooks like I needed to make that change in my life and now that's sort of what I do like you know my, my mandate is is that i'm I'm a TV chef that cooks on occasion <laughs> I flipped the script on it. Um, you know, it, it's it, Tyler Florence once said to me many, many years ago, he said, uh, or not many, a few years back, he said, you know, television will always be there. Like, they need, they need fresh meat for the grinder, always. And there are a gazillion shows that are out there that will pump you through it <laughs> and out the other side, thank you very much, don't let the, let, don't let the door hit you on the ass. For those people that are really, really intent and serious about being in this industry and being a, a, a TV chef or a celebrity chef, I'm sorry, but you have to do the work. There's no shortcuts to this. Um,
0: Russell, when you, when you say that you have to do the work and there are no shortcuts, as it relates to being a TV chef, like, succinctly, what does that mean? Like, What is a tip that you would tell somebody, look, you want to do this? This is what it takes.
2: You you first have to figure out who you are as a chef, and you have to be good at it. I mean, and not just not just good at it, but extraordinary at it. And you have to know, you know, if you're. And it it is it's it's a it's a it's about finding the sense of self. It's like if you say I am a Hispanic chef and I cook for this regional style, or I I am a chef that does the food that my mom taught me, or I'm the you know it's like. And, and and God, she's a great friend, and I love her. But I'm going to use her as an example here. Nikki Dinky, uh, 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 Nikki just actually she just and because I love her, I'll plug her book. She just released her her first uh, uh, book called Meat on the Side, which is a, a really really cool meat uh, book, and it's all about you know her shtick, what she does, and she's not a professional chef. Uh, she is a actress that cooks and loves to cook. And learned how to cook by watching the Food Network. And you know, and she made it very far along in Food Network Star. And in the end, you know, the reality of the fact that she is not a professional chef and did not know some of the most basic things about cooking uh, came out and that was the end of her tenure. And she went back and did the hard heavy lifting that was necessary to educate herself to to, to be able to speak as an expert in her genre, she's not the best chef in the world. She's not, you know, she's not, you know, like you couldn't stick Nicky Diggy in a, in a, in a restaurant and have expectations that she would she would manage or, or make it through. She wouldn't. It's just, you know, it's not what she does. But you know what? If I get an invite to go to her house, you goddamn right I'm going to get over there and I'm going to have seconds and thirds and hopefully take home a doggy bag because it's going to be good because that's who she is because she knows who she is as a chef. And and you know really dug into the aspect of being a home chef and and being a a, a, a veggie forward home chef. Uh, and so we're actually going to take this away
1: from the veggie forward uh, <laughs> mode. As, so Russell, usually when we're coming to the end of our of our allotted time here, and usually we wrap up. By asking our guests uh, their, about their favorite burgers, but um, we have—I think—we can get some uh, more important knowledge from you, uh, given your expertise. What does it take to
2: cook the perfect burger? Oh my God! Well, I mean, a—it's you know—it's—it's it's the really really simple things. A—it's got to have a—it's got to be a great great beef product. I mean, and I'll—I'll I'll plug Schweden Sons here, but I mean.
0: Oh, Chuck, thank you.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, come on man. That, that 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 the the it's the chef's blend is my favorite, you know. Right. It's not the top of the line, but it's the one and I mean there's a reason why it's the chef's blend because it is so fucking good. You know, I mean it's got all the right parts in it and and it you start with an exceptional quality pro- product and it then it's got to be a you know, you just have to know how to cook it right. You know, use your technique. If you're going to use uh, a skillet or a, a French pan, a poêle, or even a cast iron pan, make sure that you've got the proper heat. It's not about scorching the meat and 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 using a lot of fat. It's it's about you know finding that you know knowing that right sizzle, uh, listening for the sound, smelling it. You know, right seasoning: a little salt, a little pepper. Don't over season. Don't under season. Uh, it's about cooking it the right amount of time. Don't squish it. And you know, if you buy the loose meat and you're making your patty, it's not about overpacking that patty. You don't want it to be a tight, tight ball. You want the meat to be able to sort of breathe a little bit uh, uh, and just, you know, hold in the juices, but still be able to expand and, and contract the way it's it's supposed to. And let, allowing it for a couple of minutes of rest before you slap it on a bun. You know, those are the most basic simple things that you can do. And it, they they're not hard things to do. It's just patience and proper execution, good quality product, proper seasoning.
0: You know how I know you're a chef? You didn't talk about the bun, the cheese, the toppings. You just <laughs> talked about cooking the meat. I love it. It's awesome. It's important.
2: <laughs> well, you know. And I mean it was funny, I I I knew I knew you guys were gonna ask about what my favorite burger is and it and it's still all my all time and I, I got to say it my all time favorite burger even from childhood uh really it's the bobs big boy oh wow not yeah. not the
0: first time that's been said on the show
2: yeah i mean you know it's like the, I, I i was raised on those it truly was one of those things that without a doubt i i absolutely adored uh i still like the secret sauce i could just talking about it i can i'm thinking about the flavor profile on my palate. um I, I, I miss it. I miss it so much. I can't even begin to tell you. I mean, but, I mean, I, I really. I need to figure out how to recreate that. It, it just was such a cool burger, and and they just don't exist in Southern California anymore. The, the last trip we went down, I actually tried to take a break and and slip over to a part of town that I knew one used to exist, and now it's a Mercedes dealership.
0: Well, I think the next subculture dining. Um Theme has just been created. Yeah,
2: <laughs> Sunday morning at Big Boy. Oh my God! Yeah, there were so many cool dishes there. I mean, the the even the, the their chopped salad. There were so many great dishes on that menu. The 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 fish fry with the potatoes, the wedged potatoes, and yeah, there was a lot of good stuff on that menu. The oh, secret.
0: Brad, Brad, we may we may have to do like a wrap episode just about Big Boy because it comes up so much. But anyway, that aside. Russell, thank you for being on the show today. It's been really, really fun talking to you. Can you give the listeners uh, some idea where they can find you online? What's the best way to connect with
2: you? Yeah, the the the, the easiest, most simple direct way is to go to russelljackson.com, R-U-S-S-E-L-L jackson.com. Uh, you can find me at subculturedining.com as well as my, you know, uh, it's easy to find me on Bravo. Just... Bravo, going off the menu, and it's on the Bravo Now app and all of the streaming services because we are the very first straight to digital format by a major network. So uh, you know, Pretty and awesome. then the the last thing I would say is is uh, my other online show, which is and uh, getting ready to start shooting its third season, but Pop Foods. We've got two great seasons up there, and it's it's more or less a uh, uh, an industry and food talk show, and it really. It, we, we we talk about some pretty heavy cool subjects there, and then I have a lot of my good old celebrity chef friends, especially the, like my favorite all time guest, uh, Dinershka Lysik, uh, who was with me on Food Network Star, you know, the tough girl.
0: <laughs> well, well, when you when you do season four, you can call Brad and I will come on and do a burger
2: talk show. Oh hell yeah, <laughs> that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. And I really appreciate you know being on the show, guys. It. Uh, uh, it's been a pleasure, and man, you know, I was just saying the other I was just saying this morning like we so need a burger crawl. It's <laughs> overdue. maybe this fall we'll 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 do another collaboration burger crawl it, there's, frankly, we've got to go back to liberty and eat that burger. God bless we'll
0: we'll link that. we'll link a, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Russell, thank you so much. Good luck with the uh, the next season of the show both shows actually. Uh, Thanks, it was guys. a pleasure talking with you.
2: Yep. yeah, great to talk to you all too.
0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.